Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fifth episode of Slasher Saturday. Joining me, as always, is my best friend and husband, Derek. Hello. And my name is Eleanor. We are movie fans, TV, and horror movie fans who like to talk about things we love, and we would love to share that love with you. And if you want to join us in the comments, feel free to. On Slasher Saturday, we hit stop and rewind on the VCR so we can look back at some of the most classic horror movies of all the horror genres throughout each generation, evaluate their impact on the horror movie landscape at the time, and how well it holds up today. This week's episode, of course, is the 2009 Friday the 13th reboot. And Derek, do you want to give us a little bit of the 2009 slasher landscape? Yeah, I'm not an expert on this time for sure, but it was obviously a reboot of sorts, and that was a popular trend going on in Hollywood at the time was the reboot era, and it's something that we see today. It was really started off with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot, I believe in 2003. I could be wrong on that, but I believe it was also a film produced under the Platinum Dunes brand, which is associated with Michael Bay, which is very interesting. So this movie, um, Friday the 13th, and I'm not sure if the Nightmare on Elm Street one was as well. I believe so. Um, but it was getting the Rorschach treatment, as I like to call it. And the, of course, Halloween franchise was getting the Rob Zombie-fied. Yes, it was. So we were getting all these reboots from these classic horror franchises that came from the 80s that kind of needed maybe a little bit of a re vitalize at the time and uh, this was one of them and unlike the other ones I would say honestly this one was probably my favorite out of the reboot films now if we're including today where like Scream 5 is just called Scream so it's kind of a reboot kind of a requel I just consider it a sequel so I'm not really including it compared to this uh, but I would even hold this maybe even over the newest Child's Play, even though I did mildly enjoy that. Um, Mark Hamill sold that one for me, definitely. Definitely, definitely. Huge Mark Hamill fan, so I'm super biased. But with this Friday the 13th movie, there isn't anything really biased to hold me to it other than Jason himself. And uh, I have been a Jason fan for almost as long as I can remember. The only time I was not a Jason fan was when I was only introduced to Halloween and that was probably a year or two before I discovered Friday the 13th and Jason X and uh, then when this movie came out I was excited for it saw it and I enjoyed it um, I don't think it was my favorite Jason movie at the time and it's still not but I would say I like it more than most people. This was a movie that seems like it's a little bit mixed when it comes to the critics, the fans, and obviously the hardcore Friday the 13th fans. I personally really liked that we got to see Jason kind of sprinting at you. I thought that was terrifying and laying bear traps and setting people on fire. It was really brutal. It was brutal. And, you know, they could have taken the brutality too far. And maybe at times, maybe they did. Um... But in the other Platinum Dune films, I thought they took brutality sometimes a little too far and was just a little too bleak. And I thought this had enough actually okay characters I could kind of get behind and uh, really enjoyed this movie. Eleanor, you are not a lifelong horror fan like me. I'm not necessarily a horror expert, but I've definitely been a horror fan for a while, so I'm biased. 
you were unbiased. Uh, what is your experience as a Jason fan going into this movie? What has been your experience beforehand, or was this your first? Well, before I saw this movie, well, before I met you, really, I didn't really see as many horror movies other than when I was finally old enough to see them okay. in theaters. So you're and kind then, of the average movie-going audience right. going into this film. Right. And then I knew who Jason was before I knew that Jason and Friday the 13th were two properties that were one and the same and associated with one another. Okay. And then I went into this movie not really knowing what I was going to be getting into because I hadn't, I still haven't seen the original one. Blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually enjoyed this one a lot. Of course, there's little things here and there that you're like, okay, okay, this is a horror movie trope. Sure. But I feel like a lot of slasher films and a lot of horror movies in general have those type of things that sometimes bother me. But I thought Jason was terrifying, but yet still a villain you could root for because he was just badass. And I do like a lot of the characters that they brought into this. There's definitely some douches that you don't want in there that you're like, okay, I'm ready I can't for, them, wait to for die. them to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I feel like you have to have them so the characters that are actually root, like worthy of being rooted for stand out a little bit more. So I feel like those characters did definitely shine, like Danielle Panabaker and Jared Padalecki and Amanda Rigetti. Definitely. Those definitely. three were definitely my highlights in this movie, and I think they were kind of meant to be, but they were definitely the highlights for definitely. me. Definitely. Before we get into the cast and crew, I would like to mention that there is a small amount of Friday the 13th fans, and specifically fans of this film in particular, that do recognize this movie as but just a sequel to Freddy vs. Jason. And the I fact that. that we saw the beginning was basically just for new fans or that the little kid Jason we saw pick up the machete in the beginning was an undead child. He had already drowned. It wasn't that he didn't. Um, I'm not saying that's necessarily what I believe, but I would like to put it out there and see if there's any Friday the 13th experts that know more than me for sure, but maybe would like to shed some light on this. Is this movie considered a reboot by the director alone? And is it considered a sequel to the Friday the 13th hardcore fans? Is it canon? Is it not canon? All that. I'm just kind of reviewing it as a standalone movie. I know maybe it breaks some of the Friday the 13th rules, but it seems like they kind of always are changing the rules, especially in the later films. Right, and they do the same thing with Halloween, and they do the same thing with Friday, not Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> so I think they all kind of break their own rules every once in a while, because when you get so many movies out, you're like, there's only so many corners we can back ourselves into. And you got to keep it interesting, too. Right, you have to keep it fresh. If it's not fresh, people aren't going to go see it. And, of course, this is the newest installment of Friday the 13th. Eleanor, let's get into it. Alrighty, guys. So it started out as a estimated $19 million budget, which that is just an unsurmountable amount of money to me, but not quite endgame status. And then it ended up making over $91.5 million at the worldwide box office. Now, that means we made some money back, honey. It was a success. It was. We did good. It was a success. It was. And some of our top cast members I've already talked about, like Jared Padalecki, Amanda Rigetti, Danielle Panabaker, of course, Derek Mears is the one who plays Jason Voorhees in this movie. You have a, other, a couple other notable faces like Travis Van Winkle, Aaron Yu, 
Jonathan Sadowski, Juliana Gill, Ben Feldman, and Arlen, Arlen Escarpeta. Sorry if I mispronounce your name, sir, but you were great in this film. <laughs> and then we did have quite an interesting like set of producers on this, not what I would have thought. So our director was Marcus Nispel, but our producers, the first one listed was Michael Bay, and then it made sense when you mentioned that it was produced by Platinum Dunes. So I was just like, well, this is a Michael Bay film? It doesn't feel like a Michael Bay film. Right, right. <laughs> and then you have two other producers, Andrew Form and Bradley Fuller. The story was written by Damian Shannon, Mark Swift, and Mark Wheaton. And we were distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures and Paramount Pictures, and it came out February 13th, 2009. So as always with the Friday the 13th movies, it's always kind of a little bit of a collaborative effort because of the licensing issues with Jason Voorhees, The Mask, and the film name itself, Friday the 13th. We won't get into all that because I honestly don't understand all of it. But I really hope, here's to hoping that maybe one day... Years from now, this video will inspire somebody to get the rights to Friday the 13th under control and maybe at least inspire somebody else to get their voice heard so that they can inspire them to make a new Friday the 13th movie because we need some Jason Voorhees people. <laughs> we do. And if you guys ever want us to do a deep dive and look into that legal stuff in the future, I love looking into legal stuff, so I have no problem. Just and leave it in the comments. you would be much better at it than me. Leave, it, leave us a note in the comments. We'll do a special episode of Slasher Saturday looking into the legal tea of Friday the 13th if you guys want. That would be fun. All right, guys. So this film opens up on June 13th, 1980 on a camp counselor running through the forest from someone attacking her. She is then confronted by her pursuer, which of course is Miss Pamela Voorhees, a woman taking revenge for the death of her son Jason that drowned years before. But the counselor manages to decapitate the mad woman with a machete and runs away into the woods. But a young Jason Voorhees, who, like his original counterpart, brought back to life after he drowned, witnesses his mother's death. He comes out of hiding, picks up his mother's head and the machete, and walks into the night. And that is the scene that is debated, like I mentioned earlier, is that, is this Jason dead, did, or did he survive the drowning? Now, I right. personally think he did drown, and that he was already resurrected as a kid, and then just, I guess, built that shack that we see later in the movie and just hung out for 20 years. Or right, maybe exactly. slept, or maybe slept in the lake. I don't know. But I do think he is undead. I don't think he's alive. Right. I think you could, I could take be 100% this either way. Wrong. You could, I think you could take this either way. I think they leave it a little looser for interpretation. It could be a soft reboot, and it could also be a sequel, I think. Then we skip forward, and 29 years have passed, and Camp Crystal Lake has been boarded up and closed. A group of five teenage vacationers are hiking through the woods after a plot of marijuana planted in the region. <laughs> They're looking for it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the teens include Geeky Wade, the one navigating the group to the weed, Cocky Richie, his girlfriend Amanda, and another couple, Mike and Whitney. The teens decide to set up camp in a clearing. Night falls and the five campers sit around the campfire and Wade tells his friends about the story of Jason Voorhees. He kind of does this in like a, you would have s'mores and hear about a campfire horror story type way. Right. And of course we've seen that a hundred times where there's a, a campfire speech about Jason. Right. A little bit of an exposition the, dump. 
And right, they retell the events of the first film, the original film, and uh, it's nothing we haven't seen before. For right, sure. I think it was still it was well done for yeah. it being yeah. redone a hundred times. I think it was still other good. than you know half the time they're uh, <laughs> showing titties in the background while people are talking, and these guys oh, yeah, are we're like three super minutes horny. in, and we're already three minutes in, and people are already talking about sex, and their boobs have already been out at least <laughs> once. <laughs> so you know the flavor of this like, film going right, in. <laughs> so this is going to be a Jason movie. That's... Yeah, you're like this is horny campers getting killed. This is perfect. That is what I wanted. <laughs> Of course, his friends blow it off and go their separate ways. Mike and Whitney go for a walk. Amanda and Richie engage in intercourse in the tent. That is a very nice way of putting that. And Wade ventures into the surrounding woods to use the bathroom. When Wade is looking down, he discovers he's standing right in front of the plot of marijuana he's looking for. But his excitement is soon over when an adult Jason Voorhees wearing a burlap sack over his disfigured face appears and murders him by slashing his face with a machete. And, and it slashes him right into a tree. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, and he really sold the fear in that scene where he's... He's like, ah! No, 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 no! <laughs> and yeah, he, he totally bought it. And of course, it's right when he got what he wanted. Yeah, you look up, you're like, and like it must be the ganja. Oh, nope, it's Jason. <laughs> you can't break Randy's rules, man. You can't break Randy's rules. You cannot have sex, no drugs, no alcohol. So I, I knew that he was going to be the first kill. Randy should add trespassing to that list, because I feel like if they weren't at Camp Crystal Lake, they wouldn't be asking for it so hard. <laughs> Same with Michael. You don't mess with his house. Oh, yeah, don't touch his house, man. <laughs> Mike and Whitney come upon the abandoned Camp Crystal Lake. They explore one of the cabins and find a locket with a picture of a young Pamela Voorhees inside of it. Mike comments on how much Whitney resembles Pamela Voorhees, and keep that in mind for later. Keep the uh, listeners, stash that in your brain. You want that information for later. That's going to come up later in the film. And meanwhile, Richie and Amanda are still getting it on and get interrupted by noises they hear outside the tent. And they kind of do the thing where, you know, the, the girl goes, oh, you need to go outside and check. Like, you're not getting any more until you go outside and check. Right, because they like, think God it's their it. friends spying on them. <laughs> he's like, God damn it, fine. <laughs> Richie investigates and discovers Wade's mutilated corpse. Richie ru- tries to run back to Amanda, but his leg is caught in a bear trap. Which, this is very controversial, right? Jason setting traps. Maybe it's not as controversial as I'm thinking, but I've seen some debates, and I I get it, you know, Jason is not supposed to be like that, but I, I, I really liked it. I like I that he's sadistic like that. He was sadistic, and he was also smart. Like, he wasn't right. just super dumb zombie or anything. I'm not saying that Jason was ever dumb, necessarily, but I thought it made him even smarter that he was able to use a trap and be able to plot it out and be able to use other people as bait knowing that they would come back and which way they would come back and uh it's so brutal and the cosmetics and the practical effects they used for his leg were amazing oh yeah because if you see the behind the scenes he had to stick his foot in a hole right and And then it looks really real this movie's prosthetics and its cgi still really held up Yeah, it looks really good still. Jason then breaks into the tent and drags Amanda out, still in her sleeping bag, and he zips it up over her head, and this is horrifying, guys. This is probably the most brutal kill in the movie. He hangs her over the campfire 
in her sleeping bag and it becomes an oven and she just roasts in there. She's burned alive as Richie watches on in horror with his legs stuck in the bear trap. And then the bottom of the bag gets like burnt to a crispy and she falls out and rolls out and just lands and she just looks burnt and roasted. And still. Yeah. It was jaw dropping. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was see, really like, disturbing. Holy shit. She just got cooked alive in there. And it that really shows. It really shows that Jason Voorhees is stepping up the level of sadism and brutality in this movie. It sets the tone. It's like, okay, this is this Jason. Like he sets traps for people. He lets them suffer. He lets them watch the people he loves. They love die, and he'll kill them slowly. Mike and Whitney find Pamela's severed head inside a rotted wall, and suddenly Jason, who has snuck underground, begins stabbing through the floor with his machete. Jason has built an underground tunnel system branching all around the camp. Which is probably the scariest game of whack-a-mole they've ever played. Right, and it also shows how he gets across the uh, area so quickly without it being like, oh, poof, teleporty powers. Right, they did that intentionally. They wanted to intentionally make it clear that our Jason in this movie is not using the ability to teleport. And we're also not leaving it open to speculation. Right, exactly. Which I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, I like the fact that he has the tunnels. I think it'd be terrifying to be chased by Jason, a huge-ass Jason like Derek, and uh, and in those tunnels. But I do understand the criticism of leaving it opened a little vague could add just a little bit of mysterious. It's like when they try to explain a character too much. Right, like when sometimes they try to explain... when it detracts from the character overall. Right, when you try to like explain why Michael Myers is as powerful as he is, it's like right. a similar feeling. But regarding the tunnels, I personally still didn't necessarily have a problem with it. But maybe when we get to the original films and we'll see Jason, how he was in those, maybe we will see this film later on and see oh well, i understand maybe some of these criticisms but so far right now where i stand is i don't have a problem he wounds mike several times and then jason grabs mike and pulls him underground and kills him as whitney screams helplessly the last thing he says to her is is whitney run and she's like sitting there screaming it's like girl listen to him run she flees from the grounds and runs back to the campgrounds she discovers the carnage that's taken place Whitney tries to free Richie from the bear trap, but Jason appears first and stabs Richie in the head, which, which is another beautiful epic. practical effect. It was legendary. And if you ask the actor who played Richie, he was like, yeah, I left with a boot print on my forehead from that night. From where the kick, where he kicked the guy's <laughs> face off the machete. Yeah. And that is when it went black, and we realized, oh, all of our main characters that we thought was the main characters are dead. At least we think. Yeah, then we see a title card, and it's like, oh, that was a cold open. That was just the beginning. Which like, I thought was really cool. Right. I thought it was great to see such a long open like that. That was really refreshing. And then we just look at each other. We're like, everyone's dead. What do we do? And then, no, no, no. Six weeks later, a group of party-anxious teenagers are heading to a house on the lake for a great time. The teenagers include Preppy Trent, an obnoxious and self-centered jerk who owns the lake house, his kind brunette girlfriend, Jenna. Daniel Panabaker, right? Yes. And if you don't know who she is, she's also from The Flash. (laughs) (laughs) A wild blonde girl named Bree. Jokester and love-crazed Chewie, his best bud Lawrence, Nolan, and Chelsea. 
They stop at a gas station nearby where they have a run-in with a man named Clay Miller, who is looking for his sister Whitney, the girl from the beginning that was kidnapped, who has been missing for several weeks. Trent is rude to Clay and has no interest in him or his sister. Which is so funny because the guy is in line trying to just spread out some papers saying, hey... You know, my sister's missing. I'm trying have to you find seen her? her. Have you seen her? Could I maybe leave these out in front of the store? And You'll Trent's have to ask like, the owner. Oh, dude, are you going to buy anything? Like, I have to get a case of You've beer. You've been up here forever. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> like, I need to get my party on now, bro. Like, right? It's get like, the fuck out. I don't have time for you. <laughs> but his girlfriend, Jenna, takes a liking to Clay and apologizes for her boyfriend. And he says, thanks. And I already love Jared Padalecki at this point in the movie. Right. You're like, okay, this is somebody I can see. Like, I can see who I'm rooting for already. Right. Like, and Trent is already the biggest douche. You're like, like I <laughs> hope he's the first one to go. <laughs> he's already one of the biggest douches in all the Friday movies I've seen so far. Oh, yeah, and he plays a part perfectly. Like, it, it's almost like Joffrey level. Like, I cannot stand <laughs> this man anymore. <laughs> and then after buying some beers and other stuff, the teenagers take off for the lake house. Clay continues his search for his sister, stopping at a barn where a man named Donnie lives. Donnie offers Clay weed, but Clay refuses, and realizing Donnie is not going to help him, he leaves. Trent... Jenna, Bree, Chewy, Lawrence, Nolan, and Chelsea, the whole squad, arrive at the huge fancy lake house adorned with animal trophies and stuffings and skins everywhere. Like, it looks like a redneck's paradise in there. Soon after, Clay arrives at the lake house unaware that these are the same teenagers he met at the gas station. He asks once again about his sister, and Trent again is rude to him. Because Which is so, once isn't good enough. <laughs> it was so weird, also, that, like... What's her name, Danielle Panabreaker's character? Jenna. Jenna, that she just invites Clay into Trent's house knowing that Trent already wanted to beat this guy up after just a quick little meeting in the gas station. Yeah, she's like, like, oh, come on in. (laughs) Yeah, and then when he sees Trent, he's like, oh, shit, like, where am I? I thought that was a very awkward scene. Yeah, and then it just made it worse for Trent because Jenna is nicer than ever and sneaks off with Clay to help him look for his sister. She didn't really sneak off that much. She just kind of was like, all right, bye, y'all. And Trent was like, all right, whatever. Like, me. Meanwhile, Donnie hears noises up in the attic. Taking a golf club, he heads up to investigate. At first, he thinks the intruder is hiding inside a curtain, but it turns out to be a mannequin. And he does some freaking hilarious with the mannequin he's like oh do you remember the night we shared and like squishes the mannequin's little tiny (laughs) plastic titty you remember the (laughs) night you took my virginity yeah (laughs) (laughs) the actor who played that guy like (laughs) fucking sold it it was perfect (laughs) i've seen in something else and he is always great in everything he does funny that scene was so good. <laughs> then Jason comes out of his hiding place and tries to attack Donnie. Donnie then rips off his burlap sack, really revealing his deformed face. And then he slits the throat of a disturbed Donnie with his machete. While examining his burlap sack, he finds that it's ripped and replaces it with a hockey mask. And this is the epic scene we've been waiting for as Whatever. soon as we saw Jason. And, of course, it was great to see him in the bag, very nice homage to part two but uh 
as soon as he picks up the mask, I was like, yes, here it is. Like, oh, shit's about to get real now. (laughs) It's a little weird that that's the guy he got the mask from. Like, if I was Jason, I'd want to maybe clean it off first just to be safe. You never know where those eye holes have been stuck. Well, especially with how Donnie was acting with that mannequin, you're like, "Mm, this is weird. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I would just maybe look into some sanitation. (laughs) Did you bring your hand sanitizer? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe rinse it off in the lake. Go take yeah, a dip. Jason. Give it a little bit of a donkey dunk and then put it on. <laughs> Back at the house, the teenagers all start drinking, smoking, and dancing provocatively. Nolan and Chelsea take the boat on the lake, and Chelsea water skis topless. She wipes out, and as Nolan turns the boat around, Jason shoots an arrow into Nolan's head from the shore. That is when we say bye to Douchey Owen Wilson. Yes, because he literally was Duccio and Wilson. It was like, oh, he told me not to take his boat out. You know what I did? I took the boat out. I would say he was less douchey than Trent, though. <laughs> I was kind of hoping Trent would get the bow in the head. Right. You're like, damn it, why is it this guy? And then, of course, she's just left stranded. And the boat's coming right at, right at her, and she's like, um, excuse me. And then the boat rams Chelsea, injuring her head, and then she spots Jason standing on the shore holding a machete. She manages to elude him by swimming under a dock and hiding there. Which I thought was really cool that Jason's a good shot. I mean, is it does it make sense that he was able to shoot a guy in the head in a moving boat from that many yards away from the shore? Probably not. But Maybe he's legless. You don't know. If he's a little supernatural, then, you know, there's a little bit of plot armor in all of these type of movies. So it doesn't really stick out to me. It was kind of interesting to see him use that. If he was going to use any other weapon, I would figure it would be like a chainsaw or maybe another type of knife or another type of saw in general. Or weed whacker or something. Um, Well, yeah, of a sorts. Um, But bow and arrow, you know, that works too. (laughs) Or was it crossbow? No, it was a bow and arrow. He was lowering his bow. Okay, that's what I thought, but I wanted to clarify, and uh, I thought it was kind of cool. A little scary. Yeah, and then she's hiding under this dock, and she's like, I'm going to be real quiet, and then she's like, okay, I think I'm good, and she looks at the camera, and as soon as she looks at the camera, Jason finds her and stabs her in the head with the machete and pulls upward, and it's kind of a funny, because you're like, oh my god, that was horrifying, (laughs) but it's kind of a funny shot, because her head hits the dock and her boobs jiggle at you, and then she slides off the machete and sinks into the water. (laughs) You're like, oh, oopsie. (laughs) (laughs) you're like well there's another titty shot for this movie we are keeping consistent with the franchise yeah when i (laughs) when i saw that i was like oh damn like he knew she was there he could just sense it because he's jason stabs her through the head pulls it up like he's pulling off like a bug off his shoe and it's just like titties (laughs) (laughs) he was just like dunk against the top of the dock and then she slides off it was a great kill. It was. It was really brutal, too, because as soon as he stabs her in the head, she goes cross-eyed and looks up. Like That's like the last thing she did, and her eyes get stuck that way. And another thing I loved about the bow and arrow kill was that when the guy got shot in the head, he turned around to look to see like who hit him and then died. Yeah, and he collapsed right onto the accelerator of the boat, so it made right. it go faster and then right hit her, her harder. Head. Right <laughs> It was a perfectly planned kill. Like, Jason looked into the future, saw how that was going to go, and was like, yes, this is the way to do it. After that, Clay and Jenna come upon the deserted Camp Crystal Lake, where they witness Jason hauling a dead body into the tunnels. It is revealed that Whitney is chained up inside the tunnels, being held hostage by Jason. 
And if you're watching the killer cut at this point, she escapes and then comes back. She gets captured again. Jason notices Clay's backpack, which was left out when Clay and Jenna were rushing to hide from him, and he gets suspicious and starts looking around. And I believe he turned the lights on, too, yes. didn't he? He turns on the lights from the camp and, starts and knocks flipping over shit a tower over. of canoes, just like canoes go everywhere. And he's searching for the intruders, and when he can't find them, he then gives up and heads to his underground hideout. And when Jason leaves, Clay and Jenna are like, uh, GTFO, and they start running to get out of there. And they accidentally trip over a tripwire, and it rings a little bell underneath uh, Jason's lair. So he has. A, it seems like he has a system of tripwires around the island or wherever he's at. And when he someone trips it, then he's like, "Oh, there's an intruder in my swamp." Like and so Shrek far, I would say our two main characters at this point, because you'd say they're the two main characters, right? Oh, definitely. So far, I'd say they are being rather smart. For most slasher main characters, they're not just running into the woods all the time to run away or running up the stairs and whatnot. They're actually being smart. Like, okay, now's our chance to get out. Let's get the hell out. Like, let's get back to the lake house and warn everyone. Back at the lake house, Chewie breaks a chair and Trent urges him to go to the shed and get some tools to fix it because Trent's a douche. Bree then leads Trent upstairs where they make a love tape. And if you have not seen this movie, like, this is the most awkward sex scene I've ever seen. Like, move (laughs) over Game of Thrones. Move over Game of Thrones. This is the, like, this is damn near pornographic. (laughs) And the killer cut, they just extended it. Don't worry. That's what you're paying for with the killer cut. You're getting extra boobs. The wise words of one of the directors, I can't remember. I think it was New Blood. He said, this one wasn't for the fans. The hell with the fans. This one was for me. Yeah. This is a very similar feeling. very similar. Like, I just want to see this girl naked and ride some dick. Yeah. <laughs> and the best line ever uttered in a movie is, "Oh, dude, you have perfect nipple placement." <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh my god, this is like hardcore shit. Like this is making me uncomfortable." He's holding a camcorder, and then you look, and there's just a shot of wind of Jason watching in the window. He's just like, <sighs> "He's Those like, are, why next?" And poor Caitlin eventually is end up banging on the door. Yeah, I, I, I called her Caitlin. I know. Don't don't look at me like that. Yeah, she's like banging on the door. She's like, uh, like you guys, Trent, we're all going to die. And he's like, excuse me, girlfriend. I'm busy I'm fucking our friend. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I am busy. <laughs> <laughs> the most awkward thing, but still hysterical to me every time. Clay and Jenna arrive at the lake house to warn everybody. And this is when Trent and Bree are doing their business. And Trent is pissed, accusing Jenna of fooling around with Clay in the woods. Meanwhile, he was just screwing Brie upstairs. Like, why are you mad? Talking about like in the pepperoni placement on his pizza. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Stuffed crust, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Chewie ends up making it to the tool shed while all this weird shit's going on where he bounces a basketball and swings a hockey stick around, accidentally knocking out one of the lights. He also finds a bottle of liquor and is like, oh, don't mind if I do, Trent, and like drinks half of it immediately. I'm like, college kids. Yeah, yeah. I see it. Yeah, it's very accurate. Jason is then like, hello, motherfucker, and comes out of the darkness and attacks Chewie, who grabs a screwdriver to defend himself. But Jason takes his arm and slowly pushes the screwdriver into his throat. And this is as Chewie is trying to stop it. 
from oh, going man. to the store. He used his so own hands brutal. to stab him. Yeah. It was horrifying. And it was Chewie was one of the best characters of this movie. Yes. Like, he was one of the more likable side characters. And behind the scenes stuff with him where he was like gurgling and like letting the fake blood getting into his sinuses so it would come out. <laughs> he literally like, threw up a couple of times. <laughs> what's, poor guy. what's the guy's name? Uh, Jason or who plays Jason? Derek Sears, is it? Um, Derek Mears. Derek yeah. Mears, sorry. Um, he even looked at the actor who played Chewie and was like, dude, you're, you got some mad commitment for this shit. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Just die. Like, just, just die. <laughs> no, he's, he gave it as all. He really sold it. And for something so simple as just like a little screwdriver going into the neck, that's something we've seen a bunch of times. But even in this movie, I was like, wow, that was really done well. That was really brutal. Oh, yeah, it was. At this time, Jenna and Clay calm Trent down and call the police just as Jason is cutting the power. Lawrence goes out to the shed because he's like, that's my bro out there. I'm going out there. And he arms himself with like a pot and a knife. Like he is ready to go out and kick some ass. And they are really doing their best to make these side characters that we really don't know a whole lot about right before they die. Make you care about them a little bit. Right, Like you're like, oh my God, he's likable and he's dead. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Lawrence goes out to the shed and finds Chewie dead. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but you're welcome. Jason appears, but Lawrence manages to put up a good fight. But as he's fleeing, he's like running away, running back toward the house. Jason throws an axe and nails him in the back, like king of axe throwing. Throws it from like 50 yards back and nails him. For a minute, Jason uses Lawrence's screams to lure the kids outside. They realize what he's doing and do not fall for this trick. So Jason's just like, eh, whatever, and kills him. Just pushes the axe through his chest. Trent gets a gun and Jason gains entry to the house because of a window that is left open. And that was upstairs, right? Yeah, it was wasn't an upstairs Jason window. up on the roof? That was an <laughs> epic scene. Yeah. And then uh, he gets in and he kills Bree by picking her up and putting her on a pair of antlers and hanging her up on the back of a door. And he also murders an officer that they called. They're like, oh, thank God the police are here. And then as soon as they're going to open the door and let the police officer in, there's this beautiful shot where they pan through the doors and you can see him, Jason, take this fire poker and jam it right through the police officer's eye and it goes through the door and everyone on the inside is like, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Trent, Jenna, and Clay, the only ones that are left, run upstairs and find Bree's corpse and then they're like, oh, shit, and they leave. They're like, oh, God. Trent runs through the woods, and he then has to cross a creek. But while crossing it, he drops his gun in the water because he's an idiot. (laughs) Trent then tries to find it in the water, but he gives up on finding the gun, crosses creek, and keeps running. Trent makes it to the highway and flags down a passing motorist who, by the way, is not Jason because I was totally expecting it to be Jason driving the truck. But he goes to get up in the truck and, like, get me out of here. But before he can hitch a lift, Jason appears and then picks him up and gores him with a machete, impaling him on a set of spikes on the back of the truck. And that and is when we see the truck drive away with, with Douche body. Canoe's body. And uh, I was like, finally, <laughs> the kill we've been waiting to see all movie. It only took like six other people dying to get there, but, but it was a good finally one. Gone. It was a good one. It was satisfying. It was definitely satisfying. Jenna and Clay run to the abandoned Camp Crystal Lake where they hear Whitney scream from underground. They find an entrance to Jason's secret tunnel and discover Whitney and free her. 
Whitney and Clay escape through a trap door, but Jason finds them and impales and kills Jenna with his machete before she can escape. It's really sad because you're like, she has such good final girl energy. She really does. Yeah, she has main character-like potential. If they were to do more sequels with these movies, with more of the Friday the 13th movies, then I totally would have expected Daniel Panabaker to be a part of that trilogy and to be one of the main faces of that trilogy because she's definitely worth it. It was so sad because she just looks up at like Clay and Whitney like, oh shit, I'm the next one. And then she gets pulled through the hole. And then it's brother and sister from now on out. They got to get out of there. Which is nice to see for once, you know. Right, I mean, it's something it the that they've done in the past in the Friday the 13th franchise. But I really like it when horror movies stem away from the love interest and go the sibling route. It's refreshing. It, it definitely is. As Jason now turns his attention toward the remaining survivors, Clay and Whitney hide inside an overturned school bus. I mean, it's like on its side, and the door that they got in was on the top panel, I guess, so they had to drop in. Whitney hides, and Clay climbs up onto the roof of the bus to look for Jason, but Jason finds him first and beats him up severely, like, pretty damn bad. We thought that he had died. Jason then finds Whitney, but she gets free and revives Clay. They flee and stumble upon Donnie's barn. If you don't remember Donnie from earlier, he's the one who had the wood chipper, had the offered um, Clay some weed, and then was the weirdo with the mannequin. They enter the barn, and Whitney hides as Clay fights Jason. And they look like, I'd say it was a pretty good fight. Yeah, I would say Clay really felt like this was his last chance to save his sister. He's already been beaten the shit out of by this monster once before. He's been looking before. for her for months. been looking for her for months. I finally got her. This guy tracked us down, beat the shit out of me. He's trying to kill my sister and trying to kill me. This is my last chance. If I don't make a stand now, it's all over. And we're going to be dead in the woods and no one's ever going to find us. No one's ever going to know what happened to us. And there's just going to be this crazy guy that has our bodies and is going to be the only one that knows whatever happened. And that'd be terrifying because you don't have cell phone service. There's no police around to help. There's no friends. There's no help. It's you. It's your sister. It's Jason. Yeah, and it was 2009, so the best phone you had was a Motorola Razor, and good luck with that <laughs> shit. Yeah. And during this fight, it's like um, Jason gets the weed, not weed eater, the wood chipper turned on and starts shoving Clay into it, trying to push his head into it. And Clay's just pushing really hard to not get his head destroyed by this thing. And then you hear Whitney behind him go, Jason! And she and he turns around and she's holding the locket that has a picture of Mommy in it. And Clay wraps a chain around his neck, around, around Jason's, Jason's neck. neck. And then uh, they throw it in the wood chipper and he's hanging for a while and it looks like he's being strangled kind of like if you've ever seen the third friday the 13th movie there's a scene in that where he's being hung it looks very similar right and he's struggling there and it seems like he's almost able to break free yeah it kind of it breaks down from the rafter but uh whitney says say hi to mommy and throws the chain into the wood chipper and it ends up pulling his head into the wood chipper and his head gets devoured from the back like you can just see brains and guts flying out of the back of his head and the hockey mask is going in the blades like it's pretty bad <laughs> and this apparently kills him and the next morning we see clay and whitney toss jason's body his hockey mask and the necklace all into the lake and i just think it's kind of like 
uh, it, it's almost like a, a cauldron, if you will. Because as soon as she starts crying and they're sitting there and they're like, thank God this is over. Jason bursts up from the water and goes to grab them and grabs Whitney. And as soon as we get that moment, you're like, oh my God, we're going to get like a part four. It fades to black and we get credits and you don't know what happened to Whitney or Clay or Jason. You don't know if that was a dream sequence. You don't know if that was real. And that is the last time we have seen Jason Voorhees in a film. It also marks the first time Paramount Pictures had anything to do with Friday the 13th since Jason Takes Manhattan in 1983 and the end of Friday the 13th, the series in 1990. It shares screenwriters with Freddy vs. Jason, who had previously turned down the chance to do a Freddy vs. Jason sequel. They seriously considered somehow incorporating Tommy Jarvis into this film, which I thought was quite interesting since Tommy Jarvis is probably the most popular character in this franchise besides Jason Voorhees. Clay's search for his sister in this film, which is probably the best arc for any of the characters in the movie, is not actually an homage to the final chapter, at least not an intentional one. The uh, One of the writers, Mark Swift, said, well, that's a brother's journey, trying to find a killer. It's unavoidable. For instance, I'll tell you honestly, Clay looking for his sister, we're not thinking about it. So when people say, oh, they're definitely doing that for the final chapter, I think that's a cool thing, but it wasn't intentional, which I thought was interesting. But it's a happy accident. Right, and it is nice to see the hero's journey not always be about he gets the girl and kills the guy, and then they run off into the sunset together. And although Kane Hodder is probably my personal favorite for Jason Voorhees, Derek Mears played a really good Jason in this movie. Oh, yeah, he's definitely intimidating. He's actually a really, really nice guy in true life, in real life, and uh, he does suffer from alopecia, but because he was so nice they were reluctant to cast him at first, or at least um, he was always a big fan of Jason, it turns out. When he saw the child version of Jason Voorhees, he felt an attachment to the character that he could relate to him. And so when he heard... Because of his alopecia. Right. And so when he heard that they were doing a Jason movie, he started bulking up and he got big. He looks really intimidating and really scary, and it's weird to hear how much of a nice guy he is back behind scenes, but, you know, that's really cool that he's a really nice guy and that he has so much passion for the character because you feel that in the movie. You can feel that Jason is enjoying being Jason. Unfortunately, although it did do financially well at the box office, since 1982, only five other films have had bigger drops at the domestic box office in their second weekend. Now, that is just the domestic box office. But uh, that means it's, you know, pretty pretty high up there in its second weekend box office drop. So it unfortunately was not well-received by critics and fans. But that being said... I think overall it's an enjoyable movie. It's definitely a good time. If you're wanting to see horny teenagers get absolutely obliterated and blue in brutal ways by Jason, this is the movie for you. And other, unlike some of the, now I will get refreshed on my Platinum Dune horror movies, but from the ones I have seen, 
at times they did go a little too brutal and go a little too bleak. And although some of the characters in this movie were really annoying and sometimes the nudity actually kind of went a little too far for me at times, um, I did really enjoy this movie. And uh, it's definitely one of the better Jason movies, in my opinion. Um, I think it's a good Friday the 13th movie. I don't know if it's the best, but it's a good Jason, and it's got some good cast members and some okay characters to keep you anchored throughout the movie. Um, it is unfortunate that we have not gotten a sequel or a requill or a reboot. I really hope they can get it together because this character deserves it. He's one of the top three horror icons and uh, for some people, the number one. Right. And for anyone curious, the reason why they haven't come out with any more properties and the reason why they haven't updated the Friday the 13th game is because of the legality issues surrounding who owns the titles and who owns this and who owns that. No one can agree on anything just so that the fans can get some sort of enjoyment from one of their favorite characters. Right. Instead, it's, well, I own the mask, and you own Jason, and you own Friday the 13th, and none of the three of us can agree. And I know that, uh, I, I thought it was funny that there was 13 deaths in this movie, which has only happened, I believe, one other time in the franchise, believe oh, it or not. that's got to be purposeful. And that's beautiful. Well, of course. You'd think that there'd be 13 deaths in more than that. But, right. uh the whole marijuana thing, the whole journey for the world's best marijuana in this movie, I thought was actually pretty funny. And although marijuana use in horror movies has been around from the very beginning, I think this movie in particular felt like the way they used marijuana felt like it would have been released today. It felt right. a little ahead of its time. Definitely. And not only that, it just felt true to stoners, I feel like. It definitely did. <laughs> but what do you guys think of this film? Is the reboot Jason the movie that you black sheep from your Jason watch? Are you a hardcore Friday the 13th fan? I personally... I really love Jason, but I am not familiar with every one of his films. As this show continues, we will, of course, go back to the original films, and if there is a calling for it, we'll do it very soon. I would be very interested to know what the kind of opinion of this film is today. Has it improved? Has it declined? Or has it kind of stayed the same? Is it still somewhat of a mixed bag? For me, there is a lot of cons, but it's still a pretty enjoyable time, especially for a slasher movie. And I do consider it on the higher end of the tier list for Jason movies. But that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys for being here with us today. And if you're on YouTube and you enjoyed this video, then please give it a like. And if you'd like to voice your opinion... Consider jumping down in the comments below and join our conversation. Consider coming back to the channel at Speed Force Media and subscribe where we do post new content seven days a week. We also have a podcast version of the show here on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, and wherever else you might get your podcast services. Don't forget to check out our sister podcast, Shipwreck Sunday. It is the highlight of the week as it is every week, hosted by my beautiful, loving wife, Eleanor. And uh, that will do it for this week. Hope to see you next week. My name's Derek. My name's Eleanor. We'll see you next time.
scary, but...